Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is Season 2, Episode 6, Godly Masculinity, also known as Manly Men. So in the last few episodes, I've been talking about cancel culture and Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate and the things that they have said about masculinity as opposed to uh, the supposed toxic masculinity that uh, people are so angry against in our culture today. And then, of course, that led to what should a woman be in submissive women and what the Bible really says about that. So today I wanted to delve into actual masculinity and what it means in the Bible to be a manly man. So there's four areas that I wanted to cover, and it's going to be uh, very briefly. And and as always, keep in mind, when I read these Bible verses, I've just picked one out of many. Do your own research. Remember, the Bible says that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians and that they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul told them was true. So you need to be doing your own research in the Bible on any of these topics and not merely take my word for it. But that's why I always quote uh, specific references so that you know I'm not making this stuff up, right? And remember, the Bible is the word of God. So if there's one verse that talks about something, that is from God, and we that's all we need. We don't need five or six verses to back up what God is telling us, okay? God is a holy God. The Bible is inerrant. That means that all of it is true, and there is no error in it. So here's what men of God need to be. We need to be loving. We need to be wise. We need to be peacemakers, and we need to be warriors, I'm by no means being exhaustive here, but these are traits that you can't get away from if you're trying to be a man of God, and then they are to be used in every area of your life. So the first one that I wanted to talk about was wisdom. In order to be a manly man, you need to be wise. In order to be wise, you need knowledge because knowledge can be used foolishly or wisely, but you have to have knowledge first if you're going to be a wise man of God. So search for knowledge, seek truth, and then learn how to use it. So the Bible talks about being knowledgeable in the ways of men. Proverbs 18, 15 says, The heart of the prudent gains knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh counsel. And verse 16 says, A man's gift maketh room for him, and bringeth him before great men. Getting knowledge is wise. And then one of the ways to use that knowledge is in order to get in front of Men who have authority and can exact change in the world for good. So it says before great men, we're talking about nobles and kings and judges and such. Giving a wise gift sometimes will buy you that audience with somebody. That is the ways of men, right? So you need to understand the ways of men, be wise in the ways of men so that you can see and make change in the world. 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. This is a big one today. People will say, trust the science, and they will oppose you. They will impose injustices upon you. And if you don't understand actual science, you won't realize that they're lying to you. So you need to be wise in your knowledge of modern day science. Read books. Don't just believe what people tell you. Research. 
Look things up in encyclopedias. You can't believe everything you read on the internet, believe it or not. Just because it's on the internet on Wikipedia or Google or whatever does not make it true. Then Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. So as we take the gospel out into a hostile world, we need to be wise, avoiding the snares that are set for us. And we need to be innocent, serving the Lord blamelessly, as much as we're able to, we are without fault. People cannot point fingers at us and say that we're hypocrites or that we're sinners, even though we know we are not perfect, right? But you need to understand that if we are not wise as serpents, meaning we are avoiding snares and we are paying attention to what is around us because people are out to get us. People are out to demonize and destroy anyone who stands for what is true and right in this world. And Psalm 3730 says, The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of judgment, or justice, giving verdicts. So the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. We need to be careful what we say. We need to be wise with our words. And the next part, his tongue talketh of justice, or judgment. That means we have to actually speak against things that are evil. So a wise person chooses his words carefully and stands for what is right. That's in the ways of men. Don't forget we need to be wise in the ways of God too. Hosea 4, 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Now, this was specifically to the Israelites and to Hosea, but if we forget the law of God, if we do not know the ways of God, if we do not have knowledge of history, the Old Testament, if we forget God's ways, he's going to judge us, right? So we need to be knowledgeable about the ways of God and not just rely on other people to tell us the right thing to do. Colossians 2, starting in verse 2, says, To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. God holds all knowledge and wisdom. So we need to understand all truth is God's truth. It's not just the Bible, but God also set the laws in the physical world, you know, the laws of nature and science. So when we understand something about what he has created, it is God's wisdom, God's knowledge. And then we need to avoid being beguiled with enticing words, which means we need to be able to discern falsehood from truth maybe evolution from creation or any number of other things that are out there that people lie to us about. In regards to wisdom, here's another one that people don't actually think about, but we are to have wisdom as men of God in making war. Proverbs 24, 5 and 6 says, A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. And in multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom 
is required when you have to fight a battle. And the more wisdom you have, the better off you are. A multitude of counselors. That means many people that you are going to for advice, right? Psalm 144.1 says, A psalm of David, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. God taught David how to fight. Knowledge. Knowledge. Are we wise in knowing how to fight and being prepared? See, God taught battle tactics to Joshua in the books of, of the Kings and judges, second Samuel, King David were given specific was given specific battle strategies, such as how to flank an enemy, how to divide your forces, how to set an ambush. God told him what to do in specific situations. It's, it's very interesting. When you read some of this stuff, there's a Bible verse that says our God is a man of war. A wise person also needs to understand that we have other means to prevent war, negotiations, diplomacy, etc. A foolish person would enter into a conflict with just their words. You should have a sword. So a wise person is going to know when to sheath that sword and when to pull it out and use it. But you have to be prepared. There are many Bible verses about being prepared for the future to avoid the snares of the devil um, to keep an eye out for the enemy so that you can turn aside. There are many ways to avoid war, but when you're face to face with someone trying to kill you, an actual enemy that wants to beat you up, you are foolish if you don't know how to fight. So a wise person needs to be wise in the ways of men, the ways of God, and in the ways of war. That leads us to the second part is we should try and be peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Well, you can't be a peacemaker unless you have a position of strength. An enemy will only talk to you if you're strong. If you're weak, they destroy you. I mean, let's think about this logically for a second. If you live in a, a small village, right? And, and there's a enemy warlord that's coming with 50 tough brawny men, you know, tattooed, bearded, strong guys with swords, and they're coming to, to wipe you out and take your cows. If you go out to meet them and you're a sniveling little weakling with no sword and they're marching on to your little village to burn and plunder and rape your women, they're just going to cut your head off and keep moving. You cannot be weak to talk peace with an enemy. But if you come out there with a sword and you're ready to use it and behind you, you have a hundred men so that you can overpower them and they see that, I guarantee you they would be more apt to sit and talk with you about arranging some sort of peace if that's what you want rather than trying to fight and pitting 50 men against a hundred men who are stronger. They're going to look at you and say, wow, he's pretty strong. Maybe we uh, should second guess this. And if you say, hey, I'd like to make peace with you. Let's talk. They're going to respect that because they don't want to die. So to be a peacemaker, you need to come from a position of strength. There's several types of strength. You have mental strength. You know, all the stuff I talked about with wisdom. You have physical strength to be able to fight if necessary. There's a famous saying, if you want peace, prepare for war. And then you have spiritual strength. You have to be grounded in the Bible, a knowledge of God and, and the armor of God. Ephesians chapter six, 
uh, to be able to fight evil enemies. If you understand that and you have a position of strength and you've trained and you've actually developed strength, and I'm talking actual muscles too, even working out, then in interpersonal relationships, you have the ability to be a peacemaker. Romans 12, 18 says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There it is. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, you should try and be at peace with them, right? But not a sniveling coward that just makes peace no matter what. You have to make peace, live peaceably with all men, which implies that you have the potential for war. If you choose peace, that means your other choice was war. Were you ready to fight? Are you able to? This goes back to meekness. You know, the meek shall inherit the earth and everything. Meekness is strength under control. So if you want to be a peacemaker, you need to have the ability to fight. Matthew 538 says, you have heard that it has been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. This is talking about personal relationships. When someone offends you, you don't offend them back. When someone actually hurts you by saying something mean, you turn the other cheek. You don't try and hurt them back. If someone tries to sue you, let them have your clothes. If they need something, let them have it. If they ask you for something, let them have it. If they're able to use the law, that's the uh, whosoever shall compel you to go a mile, go with them too. That's an old Roman law for Roman citizens versus non-citizens. They could actually force a non-citizen to carry their burdens for a mile. That's why they had mile markers on the roads. Well, not the only reason, but, and the Bible says, go with them two miles, show that you are willing to do more than what is required by the law. So this is about interpersonal relationships with other people. This is not about enemies. Then the Bible tells us we're to be peacemakers with our enemies. So this is not turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is for interpersonal relationships with people that offend you. Another thing, when it comes to enemies, people refer to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus uh, told his um, disciple to put away his sword. And you cannot argue that in this instance, after he cut the ear off of the high priest, that Jesus was being a peacemaker. Jesus was not making peace. Jesus was submitting because he had a higher purpose to be put to death. If he had made peace, they would not have put him to death. Okay. Peace is when both of you walk away in life and good health. Jesus did not. So the garden of Gethsemane is not about peace. Keep that in mind. You cannot use that to argue that we shouldn't use a sword. God wants us to be peacemakers because what did Jesus tell his disciples right before this happened? He told all his disciples to buy a sword. And if you don't have enough money for one, sell your clothes and go buy one anyways. The one of the last things that God told his disciples to do was to buy a weapon, a soldier's weapon of that day, which for us today would probably be, you know, a rifle or a handgun or something. But let's look at Matthew 26, 51. And behold, one of them, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. 
Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again your sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he will presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? So he said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. He's not saying don't live by the sword or don't have a sword. He's saying understand the consequences. Because he had just told his disciples, you should all sell what you have and go buy a sword with the money. So don't use the Garden of Gethsemane to try and prove that Jesus was a peacemaker because that's not a good example. We are to be peacemakers with our enemies, actual enemies who want to harm you. Matthew 5, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. So yes, God does want us to be peacemakers with our enemies. And then here's another one people like to use a lot to say that you shouldn't fight. Uh, Romans 12:20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So in Romans 12, he's sitting here talking about an actual enemy, right? Someone that's coming to harm you. How do you feed that person? If a robber breaks into your home, how do you feed them? You don't. They're going to shoot you and take your food, right? You're not going to say, oh, wait, stop. Don't rape my wife and, and, and kill my kids. Uh, let, let me offer you a drink. Would you like a Sprite? That's not what that verse means. This seems to be referring to actual enemies to be different than what was common in that day in the first century. People didn't take POWs, prisoners of war. When you're in a battle, you kill people. This was saying, you know, hey, when are you going to have an opportunity to feed and give drink to an enemy to where he's going to feel bad, have coals of fire heaped upon his head? Prisoners of war. In all of American history, when we've done that, uh, heck, the last war in Afghanistan and Iraq, prisoners of war were shocked that we fed them and clothed them and took care of them because they would tell us that we would never do that to our POWs. If we capture you, we're going to torture you. We're not going to feed you. If you have the opportunity to feed an enemy, give him drink, medical care, clothing, then you should do that because you're no longer fighting. You're not in battle anymore. So show the love of God to them. Spare them. Don't kill them. So that's being a peacemaker. When you have the opportunity, it doesn't mean never fight. And then keep in mind that a cool head is required to be a peacemaker. You can't do things out of anger. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is not the same as justice. Vengeance has that element of anger to it. It's retaliation or punishment for something because they harmed me or they did something wrong to me, right? But a cool head, someone who is actually thinking about doing what is right, may reach the same end result through justice. But justice is the moral principle that determines proper conduct and punishment versus reward. So somebody robs from you and you come home and find out it was your neighbor that stole your television or whatever. Do you rush over there, break down their door and steal it back and then smash their TV in the process? No, that would be vengeance. What is justice though? Call the cops, document it, show that your neighbor has it. They go in, check it, slap handcuffs on the guy, take him away for theft and give you your TV back. End result may be 
pretty similar, but it's justice with a cool head, proper conduct and punishment. John 2.15, this is when Jesus made a small scourge of cords and uh, drove them out of the temple. You can't be a peacemaker if the enemy won't talk to you. So sometimes you do have to fight. Jesus had tried to explain to them the right way to, to do things, and they had continually attacked him verbally and tried to physically stone him on multiple occasions. And he was walking by the, the temple and he saw these money changers there. And what did he do? He made a small scourge of cords and walked in there and overthrew tables and threw them out. Jesus fought, but he had a plan. This is someone with a cool head who knew what he was about to do. This isn't some guy who just angrily starts punching people. Jesus thought about this. Remember, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So there is a time and place for violence. There is a time and place for anger, righteous anger against injustice. But if you are able, if the enemy will talk to you and is open to reason, then you can talk and be a peacemaker. And that should be your aim. Your aim should not be to be a bloodthirsty warrior. That's what the Bible's talking about with all these verses about being a peacemaker. However, you cannot do that if you are not ready to fight. Because then you're not a peacemaker. You're just a weak man who can't fight. That's not a peacemaker. All right, now it comes to the one that I think is so important is that we need to be a warrior. The Bible clearly teaches that a man needs to be physically strong. Proverbs 24, 5, a wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. Proverbs 24, 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If something bad happens and you faint, the Bible is telling you you're a weak person. Verse 11, if you fail to deliver them that are drawn unto death, the innocent, and those that are ready to be slain. If you say, behold, we didn't know, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? God's watching you, right? He knows your heart. And he that keepeth thy soul, doesn't he know it? And shall not he render every man according to his works? The Bible is clearly telling you, if you do not stand up and save innocent life, those who are about to be killed, you're weak. And God knows it, and he's watching your heart, and he will judge you for that. You need to train to be physically strong and capable to help other people. Then you have to be mentally strong. You have to discipline your mind. Proverbs 24, 6, for by wise counsel, thou shalt make thy war. If you don't discipline your mind, if you are not wise, you do not plan things out, you'll die or you'll get beat up depending on what the situation is, right? Second Corinthians 10, five says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you do not have full control of your mind, you are not mentally strong. You are not disciplined. Then you need to be spiritually strong. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So here we have the character qualities of a believer in Christ. One of those is meekness. The definition of meekness is strength that is under control. If you are not strong, as I'm talking about here, physically, mentally, and spiritually strong, if you are not trained in warfare, you will not be able to be a meek person. 
one of the fruits of the spirit of God is meekness. You need to train to be strong. A lot of people don't realize this, but the Bible talks about training for physical battle to actually be a soldier. In the book of Judges 3 verse 1, it said, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many as of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of children of Israel might know to teach them war. God wants you to be able to fight as a man. You know, we talked about it when it comes to wisdom. You need to be wise in the ways of war. Then when we talk about being a peacemaker, to be a peacemaker, you have to be coming from a position of strength or the enemy won't talk to you. It should be a very simple thing to connect these dots. That to be a warrior, a man of God, you have to be trained in the art of war. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a soldier in whatever country you're in, but you need to train yourself. You need to go to the gym. You need to read. Maybe learn some battle tactics. Maybe read the art of war, Sun Tzu, or some other things. I'm saying that you have to do more than what men are taught in Christian churches in America. You have to be a man. You have to be strong and you have to be ready for violence to defend yourself, to defend others, to come to the aid of the innocent, the widows and the fatherless. The Bible has many verses about those things. I like the way Jordan Peterson said it. He said, if a person is truly incapable of violence, it is not virtuous for them to refrain from violence because it's not a choice they're making. It's just their state of being. True virtue comes from the ability to choose between good and evil. And that if a person is truly incapable of violence, they're not making a moral choice to not be violent. They're just nonviolent. They're weak, meaning that they lack the capability to defend themselves or others and to assert themselves in the face of adversity. Being able to defend oneself and others is a crucial aspect of being human. And it is important to develop the ability to be dangerous, even if one chooses not to act on it. That's a truthful quote. He's right. He's right. We need to train physically to actually be tough men. And then you also have to train in for spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now get this. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. We need to realize we're fighting a spiritual battle, not merely a physical battle against evil. Behind the physical evil is the spiritual. That's huge. Do you know the armor of God? Do you know the sword that you're to use to fight the spirits? The sword is supposed to be the Bible, the word of God, right? So read Ephesians 6, learn that stuff. And then in order to be a good warrior, you have to understand how to be meek. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Strength under control. You cannot be meek if you are weak. So that, I think, is the most important aspect of being a manly man that churches in America do not talk about as being a warrior that is physically, mentally, and spiritually strong. Oh, sure, we'll talk about being spiritually strong, but we don't want to get into the physical part because we pretend it's all about spirituality, and it's not. We need to be trained in physical warfare, be a strong man, that if need be, you can go up against another man and save someone's life. That's what the Bible talks about. Are you able to do that? 
And then, of course, we need to be loving. We're supposed to love God with all our hearts, with our, all our soul and all our mind. Matthew 22. We're supposed to love others. Uh, it continues and says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? I'm sure you've heard that before. And here's one that people also don't mention. We're supposed to have a separate, deeper kind of love for fellow believers. In this fight against good versus evil, we are soldiers. And as men, you need to be able and willing to jump in and help another soldier. First Peter 2.17 says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the king. If you don't love the brotherhood of believers in Jesus Christ, if you don't go out of your way to help believers, then are you really a man of God who understands what God wants you to do? Now, look, there's a lot here. But like I said, the biggest thing here is the warrior aspect that people don't talk about. People will talk about turning the other cheek and being a peacemaker. That's not enough. You got to be strong. People will talk about being wise, but they don't talk about where the Bible says God is a man of war and you need to be wise in the ways of war. People will mention battle when it comes to spiritual warfare, but they won't talk about a man working out, taking care of his body and being able to physically overpower another man who might be harming a woman or a child or some other innocent person. It's not merely spiritual warfare. So the conclusion is this, Psalm 149. It says, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek. There's that word again. With salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Men of God ought to be joyful and we ought to be meek. But those men must be warriors. The very next verse, verse six, these meek men that are singing and happy and praising God, right? Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. People don't talk about that. You can be happy. You can be peaceful in your heart with God and attempt to be peaceful with others. But if you are not a warrior for justice and truth and the innocent, you have not fulfilled your calling as a man. Here's something you can study. Study Psalm 23. When did David write it? It's very interesting. And you may have heard Psalm 23 before. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Read that and study when David wrote it. It's very interesting. Until next time, may God bless you. I just want to clarify that I'm not saying that every man needs to be a muscle-bound, agile, super warrior. What I am saying is that those things ought to be respected and honored as part of a masculine man and that you should at least understand that and then maybe make some efforts in that direction. You know, I'm not a muscle-bound warrior, but I do understand the need for that and I do exercise and I do carry a gun and I do um, prepare myself to fight if need be in other ways. 
at the very least, believers in Jesus Christ should not minimize true masculinity by only emphasizing the passive peacemaker, turn the other cheek type stuff. We have to understand that with all things, we are supposed to have moderation and present to the world that perfect man of God picture that the Bible talks about. And that does include very real physical strength as being a good thing, not a negative thing. Anyways, just wanted to clarify that. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.